the first words out of anybody's mouth or what am I going to tell my friends? What will I tell people was the very first reaction to us announcing this unconventional family setup. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple, Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I am Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Check us out online at couplesynergy.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experiences with working with thousands of couples for over 15 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. And so we've not only brought you an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Dave and Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You guys are actually the first remote interview that we have done. Uh, You guys are actually in Michigan currently. And your story is a very interesting one, and it, it aligns with the topic of our podcast today, and that is reversed stereotypical roles in relationships. Yeah, stay-at-home dads. Stay-at-home. Working moms. In this case, stay-at-home dads and working moms. Yeah. So before we get to that, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? Uh, what do you guys do for a living? And how long have you been together? All right. I'll start. Dave looked nervous at that one. He's (laughs) like, how many years has it been? So I'm Amanda. I'm 36. And I work in the world of advertising, tech. I've worked at companies like LinkedIn and Ford Motor Company. And I've always had sort of a demanding career as the years have gone on, more demanding. Dave's been a stay-at-home dad for seven years, and I'll let him chime on chime in on that one. We live in Detroit, Michigan and have for the last four years. But before that, we spent almost a decade in Chicago. And that's how we know you guys. Oh, and we have two boys. They're six and seven. And I think, interestingly, more than just reverse stereotypes, we have one child that has more special needs and one that has a life-threatening allergy. And I think that that adds an extra layer. Absolutely. Um, our story multiple layers yeah yeah it, it, it does so i'm dave been a stay-at-home dad now for seven years going on eight ever since our oldest was just a little over a year old mm-hmm. so and we decided that once once both of our careers became very demanding we actually for a period of time had a nanny and when my wife's work schedule, she had to travel, started to travel quite a bit for her work. And when my work ended up being a typical Chicago work week of 45 to 50 hours plus your god-awful commute every day, mm-hmm. we kind of sat down and wondered what we were doing with everything, if this was truly how we wanted to raise our, our kids and, and family, especially as our, you know, before we kind of knew at that point our family was starting to grow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was not really an easy conversation to have about that. But to be honest, my wife is much more educated than I am and much more intelligent. To be fair, we were in school at the same time. Dave was finishing his... How how old are you guys right now? I'm 36 and he's... I'm 38. And how old were you guys when you met? 23. 20, yeah. And 25. Yeah, 23 and 25. So actually Tuesday will be our nine-year wedding anniversary and thank oh, you. And we were together for four and a half years before we got married. Okay. Can you tell so us the story of how you guys met? <laughs> at a bar in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, so she'll say at a bar in Jamaica, but what she doesn't say is that it's actually it's like a terrible Hallmark movie. We both were experiencing 
kind of difficult times in our lives where we were trying to make a decision on where we wanted to go, what we wanted to do. And we knew that we weren't happy with what we were doing. So we both kind of like had a, you know, a last hurrah trip with some of our close friends to just get out, clear our minds. And it just so happened it it was over Valentine's Day mm-hmm. in Jamaica. And I, uh, yeah, I actually I did, turned it down. This trip, this trip wasn't similar friends, right? No, it was, no, it was, it was two it was, different friend, friend groups. Totally we, different. Coincidentally, both lived in Michigan at the time, about three minutes apart from one another. Didn't know each other, didn't know mutual friends or whatever. And then ended up staying at the same resort. I was with some girlfriends and about to move across the country to Seattle. And I think within the same day of meeting him, I let him know I was pretty unavailable and moving. And he's like, I just asked you out to dinner. I think we can, you know. (laughs) Just slow your roll, right? And there's a great snapshot of your guys' relationship. (laughs) Actually, it's a good analogy for how we roll. (laughs) uh, Yeah, so she shot me down on Valentine's Day. and It was too cliche. Yeah, and then we probably had the world's longest date the very next day. The rest is history. I was looking to get out of where I was at. She was like, hey, I'm going to Seattle. And I'm like, my business partner at the time had just moved to Atlanta. So I was looking to not really be where I was at. So he followed me six weeks later. And did you guys uh, live together? We did. We moved in. Well, we didn't live together before we lived together in Seattle. Right. But you met each other. And six weeks later, you move across the country and live together. Yeah. Awesome. So it was bigly. It was pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. He drove 40 hours across the country and (laughs) was so excited to see me. And I was pretty much like, hello and welcome to. Wow, you're here. You really did it. So you greeted him with the handshake. Wow. I know. (laughs) What What were each of you thinking? I would love to say that we both really thought it through, but we didn't. And and surprisingly, I think as difficult as I reflect on it, as difficult as it was, it was actually kind of like a great way to start a relationship because we were both in an area we were completely unfamiliar with, both like people and geography. It wasn't easy. There was a dynamic of living with someone, sharing rent, and you get your first taste of like the money aspect in relationships, but also being somewhere new and all the different challenges that that presented did together. Mm-hmm. I, I won't tell you that it was easier. We did it perfectly, but we did it together. <laughs> in the, we could probably talk forever before you ask us a question, but I was going to say in the beginning, Dave actually had a much more lucrative career than mine. I was only two years into my career when we met. And so that's changed over time. And I've been able to move up in salary and responsibility, but he did better financially than I did. But I was so didn't want to give the wrong message in the relationship. And I never cashed any of his rent checks that he kept writing to me every month when we were living together. And eventually he's like, Amanda, I don't know how you're balancing that bank account, but like, it's okay to accept my money. We're sharing this place. I'm writing you half or my portion. What, what motivated you not to cash those checks? I think I felt, I felt guilt of like accepting money from him, even though we were both living in the same place, because I was the one that moved us and it was my choice. And I picked the expensive apartment and, you know, (laughs) which is also (laughs) another tone for our relationship. (laughs) So pretty quickly there on, we figured out that wasn't working and we just merged bank accounts and everything good, bad, ugly, and, you know, discovered all each other's financial habits pretty early on. So did you guys, um, did did you guys consider yourselves a couple before you moved? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two weeks in, I think we were like exclusive and already proclaiming. I love you. I mean, two weeks in. (laughs) 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 The expose. (laughs) Dave and Amanda. (laughs) Dave, what's your perception? I would say, like I said, to, that we really thought about it, but I think at that point, like we just decided. We were young. That was going to be it. Yeah. And that's that, Yeah. That kind of set the tone for everything. 
Wait, how um, about this? What What was it about the other person that you fell in love with? She. So I'm an introvert. I would probably stay at home and tinker and not get out and do things. Like very rarely would I try something kind of out of my realm of comfort. And like when we went to Seattle, like, like no one to Seattle. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, not only that, like it was good because like I, I had a good job. I kind of knew what to expect. So even though it was a different place, like I just had to learn a few different things. So like as far as like my regimented daily life, that was very easy to get into there because I was able to shift with the union. Why did you have to? But I'm good. <laughs> so what I love about her is like we were there and I'm like, we don't know anybody. She's like, hey, I have a friend. And she got us into like a volunteer community for very young adults so that we could meet people. And she was the one that like was like, we should get out. We should meet people. You know, we should take a ferry. We should go hike on this island. We should really get out and explore where we live and where we're at and experience all the different things. So she brings like life experience to me. And that's what I love about her. And she doesn't let me... <laughs> Hide out at home. And hide. Yeah. And I would say for Dave, I'd never met anyone unafraid to proclaim their feelings. Like I just always knew from the very beginning where he stood and how he felt about me and felt so unbelievably safe. And it doesn't sound, yeah, he was very, he's very sexy and attractive too, but I felt like able to be myself, like my full self, no veil, no filters, no, this is me when I'm out on a date with you, but then I go home and, you know, have to become a different persona or my real persona comes out. I was always able to be hundred percent me and feel completely like loved and accepted right away. What were you guys' lives like before you met? In regards to like relationships. Is dumpster fire over? <laughs> <laughs> it is now. Hashtag dumpster fire. <laughs> it's so funny because we've had we've had our ups and downs as a couple, and I think we always look back. We've experienced three cross country moves, job losses, sole income providers. For a while, he was a sole income provider, while I didn't work, and vice versa. That was before we had kids, but. We've experienced so much life together and we have this amazing, strong relationship, I think, because of it. Before that, literally a human disaster of chain of relationships. I never really had any that were very stable. I was always, was, I love you, I don't love you. I love you, I don't love you. Like very ups and downs and tumultuous relationships before Dave. I would say the same for me. It was, I mean, if you could find the wrong person, and hide them in a crowd of a million, I would immediately get that person. I mean, they were all terrible. And just it, terrible, terrible choices. And I voluntarily sought those type of people out because I thought I could fix them. Mm. And like, I'm a people pleaser and a fixer. And ironically, Dave was the first person where he was the whole deal when I met him. And I shot him down the first time he approached me because I was like, you're way too attractive and put together for me. <laughs> do you guys have, do you have any advice for people that are back at that stage of life? Because I think that is a common story. It certainly was for me and for Ray. We both had not such healthy relationships before we met. What kind of advice would you give those, those people that are back there dating right now? I think the number one thing is to essentially pull your mind out of dating. Like I think, and I, I can speak to like what I went through is that I was looking for other people to maybe fill some part of life rather than me going out and taking time to, to really understand like who I am, what I like, what I'd like to do, where I'd like to be. Instead of being very sure of who I am, I look for someone else to make me feel that way, mm-hmm. which is, you know, never really productive in that type of situation. And it's I like think searching for someone to fill a void. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily for someone to like love or care for you, but to like fill a void or fill a role, you know, I, I think was just disastrous. And I would definitely give the advice of like, 
you shouldn't do it for someone else. You should do it for you. Take time to know who you are and do find what you love. If you don't know what you love, find what you love, or at least find what you don't like. So that way you can apply it to a situation so that, you know, I don't think it's ever really good to put a parameter on what the perfect person looks like when you're dating because you don't know. But I think it's better to, to find out who you are and center yourself before you put that out there. Did, did you find that the thing that you were looking for in another person, you actually found them lacking also? Yes. Or it's, it's hard because I feel like sometimes it's like the trifecta. Maybe they do have what I was looking for, but they would have a lot of other things that I was not looking for. You know, like it's like it's either you get beautiful smart or crazy and no matter what one of those you get you get crazy in there you get something else that maybe you weren't necessarily looking for at that time that makes any sense oh it makes tons of sense yeah so how long into the relationship did you guys you know then get engaged kind of get you know into that next phase of a relationship well next next phase is hard because i feel like we were always the next phase but it, it we moved us. really fast in the beginning and i personally needed time to overcorrect for how fast we moved in the beginning which is why we spent four and a half years living together before we got married because every time we talked about marriage it felt too much i knew dave was the person but i just knew that was a really big financial commitment for us to pay for our wedding and the ring and the honeymoon and also the family drama. We don't, I don't oh, want to family. Families are, we have very complex family relationships and what we have together, we don't necessarily didn't see modeled in our lives no. and didn't have that type of closeness. And we knew a wedding would bring all of those dynamics together and it certainly did. <laughs> so, but pretty much by the time we got married, we were ready to have kids. And that was, I think what made us really ready was, okay, let's do this full life together, marriage, kids, everything. So, so the marriage was more about becoming a family than becoming an us. Because you were already the us. I would, well, there's, there's two parts to that. She's being modest. In complete and utter honesty, had a hard time scraping money together to get a ring because she's amazing. She took care of me, like, through so much. And eventually I just took charge and said, hey, I got a bonus. I don't care where it comes from. Yeah, it's Let's just, do this. It's not me buying my own ring. It's our bank account. Let's just go. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did it together. Uh, we did a lot of it together. We picked out the ring together. I didn't tell him when to give it to me. That was hard to wait. <laughs> yeah. And we picked out my wedding dress together. I tried them all on by myself and I called him up and said, Hey, can you come over to the shop? I really, I need your opinion. Uh, I, I think that's a very important point because I, you know, couples who feel subject to the stereotypical, you know, traditional way of, of getting engaged and proposing and, buying a ring, all of that, they can get locked into that, that past tradition and then feel stuck and, and not yeah. be able to move forward. And couples are challenged today to create more of an us than to fill these specific traditional roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think my best advice on that is whether you're getting engaged or planning a wedding or planning what your family life looks like is figure out what works for you and your personalities together versus the man should do this. The woman should do this. Absolutely. And you guys had very little influence from your families, correct? In those decisions. Mm -hmm. We did in, in a lot of the comes from, you know, when we were in Seattle, we were like, we were not even remotely close. Like even talking to people here was a giant, pain because of the time change. Mm -hmm. So we had to rely on each other for a lot of that with all of our decisions in such a nature. Most of it, like almost all of it was us. Yeah. Good, bad. We made it. <laughs> so tell us about the proposal. Oh, I would love to tell you that it was like some uh, incredible, oh immaculate 
thing, but we honestly just to kind of pause there for a second, just so you know, when we ever we ask couples about this story, it is never fireworks going off. We have not heard like this stopping a baseball game and and mm-hmm. proposing in the middle of the field. No, we haven't. It, it actually is more of like this heartfelt, intimate type of experience. Mm-hmm. We feel, and we always laugh too because it's like, I mean, Dave, we picked it out together, so I kind of had some idea of a time frame. So there was so much pressure, I think, on him to anytime he planned anything, it was like, is today the day? You know, and so <laughs> I would come home late from work because of traffic for like 15 minutes. And she's like, oh, my God, it's today he was setting something up. <laughs> we hear that all the time when the woman has to wait. We hear that all the time. Like, is it this one? Is it this one? Is it this one? Yeah. So we rolled out of bed and went hiking in the snow, snow pants, no makeup, no hair done, no like pomp circumstance, like. We were lost also walking in circles because there was a snowstorm and Dave kept lagging behind and tying his shoe. I was getting really frustrated with him. He's practicing the one knee. I know. (laughs) He's like, is this the moment? Oh, wait, she's yelling at me. Uh, (laughs) Like, let's, I need to get a workout in. And then you were so sweet. You asked to take a photo of me. have no makeup on sure take my picture whatever is your deal today i'm just gonna indulge it what were you thinking dave well it was so i just kind of staged it so we were on this hike and it was quiet and it was serene and it was just it was like just a very personal moment it just felt like just us and the world you know kind of like when it snows and just everything's quiet i set up my camera to just take some you know to auto shoot went over and she got ready and mm-hmm. I got down on one knee. And uh, I also don't suggest trying to give a girl a ring while she's trying to take off gloves and it's freezing out. What was that again, Amanda? He gift wrapped the ring box or the jeweler did. So I had my freezing hands were trembling and I'm crying and I'm trying to open the box and, Eventually, Dave had to intervene and, like, physically unwrap the ring box. I will say, whoever put, like, the ribbon on it, like, the ribbon was made out of some sort of steel cable. (laughs) (laughs) Do it right the first time. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't want it to open and fall out, so. It was very perfectly us. Private and calm and not overly planned. And we got lost in the woods for about an hour in a snowstorm after that because we were so, like, excited and blissful and wanted to wait as long as possible to keep it just us before we called anyone and let them know. Which is a weird thing now, too, I guess, something that I, I don't know if anyone's really talked about in today's day and age, like, you get engaged. And I, the Instagram proposal. Yeah, I, yeah, I felt like we instantly <laughs> yeah. had to go back like, tell people that we couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, went out to dinner and celebrated mm-hmm. and enjoyed herself. But what is that restaurant in Arlington Heights? Harry's Peggy Canane's. It's the um, Italian, the fan, the Francesca's. Yeah. yeah. That's where we went. That sounds so beautiful. That story, guys. Thank Thanks. You. you know, we're hikers. We can appreciate <laughs> it. We know what it feels like to be out there and it, and you're all alone in silence. Mm-hmm. Awesome. No, it was it was great. It was just. It, and and it so a, this is three years into your relationship, right? Or four years? Four. Mm, like almost four, like three and a half. Yeah. Okay. We're engaged almost a year. Because well, yeah, it was, it was right before Christmas, mm-hmm. and then we got married that following August. So yeah, so it was about three and a half. Okay. And then how long was your engagement? Like. 10 months. 10 months. Which, and it was longer because we, we did get sucked into the family decisions when it came to a wedding. And we ended up doing it back into Michigan. So we. It was essentially planning a destination wedding. So. Oh. Yeah. But. Back to Jamaica. 
together. I know. I wish. It would have been a much better <laughs> idea. I know. So your families wanted to yeah. be part of it and support it. And so you had it back in, in Detroit. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> and we, and you know what? And we had a lot of friends and I don't want to detract from the greater subject, but we could talk about all that fun stuff for days. Yeah, that, that's a whole, <laughs> a whole thing in itself. You know, it, it, I think it would be important to get some of those highlights because I think a lot of people, when they get engaged, they think it's about them. And then all of a sudden, a lot of other people have opinions. Is they do a wedding is more of a family event than it is a couple event. The marriage is the couple, but the wedding, depending on your family and their expectations, and even though Dave isn't as close to his parents, that it was still very much involved involvement from both sides of the family which can be hard. You have to really stay strong as a couple together through that process. And we always kind of knew before we got engaged or when we got engaged, we wanted an idea of what does our ideal wedding look like between the two of us before everyone else chimes in. We did. We knew that it was going to evolve into that at some point. So at least we had at the core of it an idea of what both Mm -hmm. of us were looking for, knowing full well that our families would Pro dynamite at that plan continuously. <laughs> at one point, Dave's mom actually made her own invitations and sent them out to her own guest list. Oh, that's, that's that was nice. one of those RSVPs in the mail. And wonder were you, were you expecting them? No, <laughs> no, and that you know, but the, it's like we look back and those things are entertaining and amusing. But we had to tackle that as a couple together and say. Who, who deals with this? Who handles the conflict? Is it in-law? Is it bride to in-law? Or is it, you know, I pass it to Dave and he manages it. How do we navigate family conflict as a couple without creating resentment and saying, well, you yelled at my mom. Well, I yelled at your mom, you know, yeah. and decide who. Which happens anyways. <laughs> I think it's even more difficult because when you're younger, like in your mid twenties, you're kind of like coming into and dealing with quite a bit. And I don't think I was very prepared for what that situation was going to be and how that would set the stage for relationships with different family members later in Mm -hmm. life. But I mean, there's little events like that, that I remember that were like completely annoying leading up to it but most importantly like i remember the day and i remember like the night like when we left and then went on our honeymoon Mm -hmm. like that was really what i pulled away from it the most can can you expound on that a little bit more kind of what you mean by that what i mean by that is like (laughs) deep thoughts by dave (laughs) so it's difficult because i think there's this concept that you'll read in every bridal magazine every planning magazine that's like this is what you do this is like this is the cake that you pick this is you know how many people you're going to have in your wedding and you get hung up in like the functionality of it and then you start getting so you have the, the logistic part of a wedding that you're trying to set up and take care of and then i think you have like the what comes into heavier play is the political part of a wedding. It's, you know, okay, we're going to let so-and-so bring their kids because they're from out of town. And then someone else is like, oh, well, Uncle Tim and his family aren't coming because if they can't bring their kids and they're not going to make it, that's not fair that they can they can't bring their kids, but so-and-so can bring their kids. And you start to get into the political games. And then you start to get into what does the mother of the bride want for everything. And then you start to get into what does the mother of the groom want? What do they want? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you wind up like playing this weird negotiation concession game back and forth for most of the time. I think our honeymoon, like all the noise then was gone. And we yes. were able to just be us as a couple. I mean, there were so many, you could almost come like indiscretions that happened on the day of our wedding. So-and-so was late or so-and-so who was supposed to read just didn't show up. And, you know, like little things happen where if you added them all up, you could remove the focus of the excitement and joy of the wedding and get upset over, you know, family decisions or things that happen that day. And at some point, it's easy when you're in the Caribbean just to let it all go and not (laughs) (laughs) 
And we always joke, we're like, we should get married again, but not invite anyone. Like, let's that, but just us or just us and our kids. We love our complicated family. <laughs> but I think it can take away where you think, oh, I'm the bride. Like, this is, you know, my exciting moment. Not, I'm trying to mediate and make all these people happy and you know, worry about the day of the events or how things are going to go or who's not getting along with who, or am I paying attention to enough of this person? Or why um, my mom decided to make her own dress to match the set pieces <laughs> and look like the ambient butterfly. Oh, um, wow. oh. okay. <laughs> or why do I have a bridesmaid crying in a, in a corner? Literally this happened. I didn't find out until later she was, pregnant and going through a lot at that time, but didn't want to tell me and overshadow the day. And, you know, it, it, just the little things that add up that I think just can distract from the really exciting part of the day, which it, it does. And the, I think that was more my point is that some of that can really take away from like, I think going into it, I'm like, this is our day. Of course, everyone will be here for mm-hmm. our day. Like, Oh, it's their day. Yeah. We're here. that's a a great message for all you brides and grooms out there it is a community event and a lot of people do not have good boundaries yes it is that's so important i didn't we didn't really set those before the wedding we're no work in progress and and inevitably it is going to cause conflict between the bride and groom uh, because of all those you know family dynamics that are going on so how did you guys handle conflict at that time? And if you were to compare it to how you handle conflict now, what would you guys say? What did I, don't, I don't remember. I think we just like both had a glass of wine together to handle <laughs> it <laughs> back then. And I think today we assign less responsibility. Like I don't put blame on to Dave for things that might happen from his side of, side of the family. And we're looking less accusatory like how- well i think there's twofold like we we have like a really good caddy or not a good dynamic of at the end of a day in our event we sit down and we'll be like can you believe this can you believe that they did this how ridiculous is that so we kind of like acknowledge it and recap it and we we have to let it go yeah you you know you absolutely have to let it go we do. We'll do like an event debrief almost, like a family barbecue. And let's say I'm being short with Dave and something happens. We go home and get to talk about it. And he doesn't realize that a conversation happened in a room, not in front of him, that made me upset that I wasn't able to talk about at the barbecue that then affected my mood. And, you know, we'll sort through that. Or he'll say, hey, when you weren't in the kitchen, you know, so and so said some pretty rude things about me staying at home. There is a lot of family dynamics that occur with reverse roles. When we announced to my family over Christmas that Dave was going to be a stay-at-home dad and I got this big, new, exciting job. We were really thrilled. By the way, I was four months pregnant, three months pregnant at the time with our second, and the reaction was not positive. It was very accusatory and it was very... The first words out of anybody's mouth were, what am I going to tell my friends? What will I tell people was the very first reaction to us announcing this unconventional family setup. And so we always had to kind of go with what made us happy because... There's there's the, a lot of, pe- a lot of people who didn't it. get it. And a lot of people that we have been friends with that are educated professionals, people that I would consider somewhat progressive, you would be shocked with the amount of people that like mm-hmm. love their traditional roles and they don't, and they're surprisingly very vocal when you don't have traditional roles. Mm-hmm. So you guys have gotten some negative feedback from people based on, on the roles oh, okay. that you guys have right now. And we still do, you know, we actually live in a very conservative town in Michigan, ironically, and I think Dave's one of four total stay-at-home dads in the entire hundred thousand people. Of you know, I'm sure there's a few they're they're hiding, but it's not a common common setup. 
I mean, we were fortunate in Illinois. It was just more progressive in general. There were some people who had to adjust when to our dynamics. But I think once you get to know us as a couple, it's just easier to take. But here it was harder, I think, setting up a new friend group and introducing ourselves as this couple. And even when I was at Ford, which is a very conservative company, I was in a management role. And a lot of the male management, their wives didn't work even at my level, but I had to kind of, I pretended in the beginning that Dave like ran his own business on the side. It, it took me, I think three or four months to be able to admit the, tr- the truth and say, yes, this is who we are because I was really shocked by moving to a conservative town, working for a conservative company that was very male centric and then being a female that flipped those roles. And then eventually I was just mean that was accepted, but I think we've been continuously challenged. I think my dad still holds it against. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah. which Like the man should take care of the woman and falls into, I mean, he is a very, like a very progressive Democrat, like all for the rights and civil rights, like very staunch Mm -hmm. advocate of, equality in all things, but to present this to him, you know, I has no idea how to communicate to me. It's as if I'm some sort of different gender other than male or female, but no, a lot of people just, they don't, they don't understand it, which I think in the beginning, one of the difficulties with being a stay at home parent was not parenting. It was not like, it was not changing diapers. It was not teaching my kids to body train. It was none of that. The hardest part of it, was being okay with not generating income. They love mom. You know, I'm nurture, but Dave, it's like, I need something. And Dave, it's just that comfortable role, even on weekends where, you know, he's the go-to. Right. I'm the go-to for nightmares in the middle of the night, but the, hey, my Lego isn't working or I need a sandwich is like, daddy, daddy. <laughs> do, do you find that? Some of the things that people say are more stereotypical, like women being more emotional or men being more stoic, has changed you guys because your roles have changed. Yes. I find it's interesting because I can easily slip into a traditional archetype, even though I'm a female. Like, I'm busy, I have a full work day, and then maybe I have a work event or I travel and I come home and I'm tired. And it's really challenging to dive right back in headfirst to parenting without saying like, I need actually an hour or two. And I, I'm always analyzing my actions. Like, is that what a normal mom would do? Or is that more what the working like man would do or sole provider would do? And I think a lot more of in terms of sole provider versus like man of the house. And I see, I have a lot of male friends who are in similar roles and we can relate. Sometimes it weirds them out because I'm a lady, but also it's, <laughs> oh, you get the pressure. Like mm-hmm. you still, you have the same challenges with your husband, even though he's a male, you're a woman, like he's a man, you're a woman. You guys have the same conflicts that my wife and I have. Right. She, we're at an interesting phase too, where the kids are going into first and second grade and Dave will tell you he wants more, but I also have a lot of pressures on me and really like the comfort of, well, I know some, you know, this is being taken care of at home. So, so Dave, you missed this question, but your part's important too, is how has the role reversal changed you as a person? Has it made you, you know, more emotional or more changed you in some way? Yes, actually it's, it's changed me dramatically. Like I said in the beginning, the hardest part was being okay with not... So when I was younger, I've done a lot on my own. Uh, I had no help from my parents. I had no help from anyone. I had to fumble my way through things. So I did what I could to make cash. I ended up having two very lucrative businesses. So I've always worked like even for a formal company and then on my own, an average of 80 hours a week. When Amanda and I first started dating, she thought maybe I had another family because it was like, I swear I'm working. Um, he would come home at 10 o'clock at night from work, and I thought it was from his first date. 
So, and then I was his second date. Or, <laughs> but I've I've always I've I've always been a person that doesn't like to sit down, and to go from my entire life my entire life being evaluating yourself on income and what you bring financially to something to not and going into a completely different role that is very dominated by another gender is difficult. It was an incredibly hard thing to get through and I had to be okay with that. I had to learn to be okay with who I am in this role and the decision that we made together. Having two amazing kiddos definitely makes that decision a lot easier. So Amanda, uh, Amanda also talked about what it was like with her peer group. You know, she's working with these men whose wives are at home. What's it like for you with the other stay-at-homes that are female? It's different because you get different different types of people, as you would, I think, in all type of workplace. I don't know how to answer it. As Dave, far as- it's interesting because I would say here, Dave has a really stable group of stay-at-home moms who prefer to go to him for questions. They'll occasionally say, hey, do you know what's going on with this teacher? Can you please ask Dave? Or just have him text me. Like, that's cute. Don't try to answer it. We know, like, it's okay. You're not involved with that. But Dave's on the PTO. He runs a dance club. He volunteers as a room parent. He's pretty much at the school every day. And And I I do that for a lot of reasons. It's a new area. And it's for my kids. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to. I I don't want to be involved in any of that. (laughs) So many interpersonal dynamics that it's mind-numbing. But I do it for my kids. It provides a great environment for them. I can get them resources because I can advocate for them in person and then drive a change for a lot of other things too. But it's different for me than I think a stay-at-home mom because I think in my personal experience with all of this, women aren't necessarily very nice to each other, nor are they super honest with each other because they're afraid that that will get used against them at some point in time. Mm. So I'm able to be myself and honest and very, for lack of a better term, blunt and forceful in certain situations. And it actually helps quite a bit Mm -hmm. because I think, you know, I actually show myself as very more emotionally vulnerable than they do. And I think that gets me a lot of places in social mm-hmm. circles and then also kind of gains me mm-hmm. like better friendships through that with them because I'm honest. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm too old and have a bad memory to be a liar and hide all that stuff anyway. So. <laughs> but, you know, it's been interesting to see like how we've been able to build friendships that are just based on trust and like camaraderie and same. Yes. I think we have like co-working spaces. I think what's more challenging is personal friendships and, you know, Dave befriending the men who are at work and their wives are at home or their wives are the ones that are have Dave on speed dial to figure out who who's going to be so-and-so's teacher next year because Dave's known since last May because that's just how he is. And, you know. So that's an interesting topic. I mean, one of the questions, you know, we ask yeah. couples is, you know, how do you navigate opposite gender friends? Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're kind of touching on that, right? So that part is actually very difficult. And it's taken a little while to mm-hmm. get to read that situation because there have been the occasional stay-at-home moms who are who yeah. try to get a little too close. So you... We, we've had to be really hard. open and honest with each other. And if we found we were more comfortable telling someone of an opposite gender in our peer group, something that we couldn't tell our spouse, why was that happening? Mm -hmm. Like, and that we should have that discussion together. Like if I have an issue or a frustration with, Oh, as the sole income provider, here's my stresses. And, you know, I have to cut it off at a certain point and have that conversation with Dave and not have that conversation with others because then you build a bond with someone else and not your spouse. Right. And I think that both of us had to find our boundaries. You know, I've certainly, I think both of us, it's tempting to get too close, not in a 
physical or even emotional relationship, but it's like, if you're more comfortable going to someone else, why is that? And then if you continue to go to someone else instead of your spouse about those things or your daily frustrations, then we separate as a couple. I think that's like a continuous ebb and flow. Every now and then I'm like, I saw how that mom looked at you. Yeah. (laughs) And honest, and it's, and I mean, it's, I'm not into that and I'm more, I'm completely oblivious to a lot. So she'll actually, I'll say, Hey, I think you need to pull back because I, I know you don't share those feelings, but I can see those feelings across a room at a PTO event. What's transforming on the other side of this, but which is also important too, because we do a lot together, even though I do these things, like we do it like even PTO events are perfect. If it's a school event or whatnot, even if I'm, helping out with part of it, we still do a lot together. So, you know, so that we not only a are there for our children, um, but we were there for ourselves. And then also, you know, see, we're kind of there to keep an eye on each other's backs to make sure there is no miscommunication on anyone's end. We do get made fun of because we'll do school drop off in the morning together. And we live in a walking district. And we'll hold hands on the walk home. And I think part of it's intentional to say like, hey, we're united as a couple. We might not have a conventional setup, but we're still a very close couple. That's awesome. Which, mm-hmm. which is, it's, it, that, that in itself, too, is very interesting, too. As you get older, you realize that there's a lot of couples that are what we like to call like business couples. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that are like, I'm the man, I make money, make sure that the kids get to their music classes and do everything else. And our finances are very, you know, narrowly trimmed and they go through the motions, but they're like about business. You don't see mm-hmm. them touch. You don't see, there's no affection there. Mm-hmm. That actually kind of creates some, I think kind of rips because we confuses are, everyone even more. When- <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. They're expecting you guys to be the ones who have that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like especially where we live, that's it's very common. And I think, uh, how can they have a healthy marriage if she's the one that works and he's the one that stay at home, stays at home, and he's the one that volunteers at the school, and she's the one that's always seems to be traveling when everyone has the flu and there's a school event or conferences, <laughs> and how does that work? And yet they still love each other. Yeah, we, we call those couples uh, couples who live parallel lives, mm-hmm. right? They're kind of doing their own thing. Maybe they, they communicate when it comes to logistics. Uh, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. But when yes. it comes to actually sharing, you know, intimacy and connecting as a couple, that's something that they, they just don't do. The, the kids are actually in the middle, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, they're good at sharing information. Uh, do, do you guys sleep in the same bed? So that's a good we, one. <laughs> we try to. We absolutely try to. And Last night, both kids slept in our bed, and I slept in one kid's tiny bed, and he slept in the others. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's sometimes as a parent, you just do what you got to do. And if your kids sleep in your bed and they want to sleep, have at it. No, we. Well, I, I think we need to also clarify. I mean, you guys did mention that you have, you know, kids with special needs. Right? Yeah. So I was going to say that is a big part. Sleep is a really hard thing in our house, especially for our older son. He has sensory processing issues and has a really hard time calming down at night and being able to have restful sleep. And the younger one, as we talked about earlier, because we spent so much time in his early years paying more attention to the older one he always feels left out. And I think we're always trying to overcorrect for years of him, maybe not feeling that same level of attention. And so they're best friends and we end up either splitting up and snuggling with each of them at the beginning of the night and then coming back together as a couple and saying, hi, I'm going to meet you at 10 o'clock and we're going to talk and we're going to have a glass of wine together or we're going to watch a show together because there will be weeks where we get caught up in tending to all the kids' needs and making sure that they're both okay. And I don't want to use it as an excuse, but especially our older son, we feel like there's a legitimate need to be there. We can't just say, 
cry it out, he would be a disaster and be up until one o'clock in the morning. He, no matter he how heavy the blanket be, yeah. is or, you know, the rituals that we did before bed, there's still a certain element of tending to those needs and making sure he can fall asleep at night. The rest of the day, I mean, we're able to have this conversation and our kids are in another room playing, but sleep and bedtime tends to be hard. I'm a big, we're a big fan of day dates <laughs> with the kids but, without the kids. Yeah. And, and also though, I will say like, I mean, that's not every night that might be a night or two during the week. And then we very full, well, we'll sleep together. And then our youngest will wander in and I love him and I love my <laughs> wife, but they sleep like starfish and diagonally in the bed. And I wind up with a <laughs> And somebody's hand on my face and I just give up and I go to a different room because I yeah. actually want to sleep. So that happens quite a bit too, because you know, kids. So how yes. much quality time would you guys say you spend together in a week without the no. kids, without screens? Probably like an hour, like 10 hours a week. Like if you think like an hour or two a day or a day when they're in school, I have a flexible work schedule. I work from home now. And when I'm not traveling, we'll try to go out to lunch together. She does get mad because I know she has things to do for work. And I'm like, will you go to lunch with me? Or <laughs> she'll sit down with her computer and I'll just start chatting to her in the morning with a cup of coffee. It has been interesting. The last year and a half, I've been working from home. And Dave's like the guy at the water cooler who always wants to chat it up because he's at <laughs> home during the day. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, so during the school year, we get a lot of quality time. In summer, we tend to get a lot more, too. And I don't know what's normal. It never feels like enough. We don't have enough date nights because of what we mentioned with a peanut allergy and sensory processing with the other kid. We have a really hard time hanging on to babysitters and family has not been reliable on either of those fronts, either keeping the home peanut safe or being able to navigate sensory meltdown situations that Jonah may have. Well, we can actually give you a number to kind of rate yourself on. And that's based on a research <laughs> yeah. study by uh, John Gottman. He found that healthy, happy couples spent a minimum of five and a half hours a week of quality okay. time together. And that's just the two of them without any screens and really just interacting with each other. Yeah. I think if you removed movie time, then we'd probably be somewhere in that five hour range. Do a lot of movies. Well, that's a lot better than we hear from people that have kids your age and all of the dynamics of those things, even if it's two working parents or one that's home and one that's not, is they'll tell us zero. They've put their kids so primary that they don't invest in the relationships at all. It's probably the number one reason couples come to us for, for couple synergy help is that specifically their marriage is starving. So you guys are doing a good job with that, with all that you have going on. <laughs> we always joke that we actually still love spending, if we could work together and run a business together and be together all day, we would still miss each other after like a grocery run. We, we do. <laughs> Even if she like leaves for work, she'll like two seconds later, my phone will ring. Um, and, uh, and we'll talk mm -hmm. to whenever she gets there. So we might not get face-to-face -face quality time, but I mean, we have at least in two hours of conversation each day and we're notorious. <laughs> Maybe she's more notorious than I am of like 1130 at night. Like I've got something serious. Let's talk about it. It'll go quick. And then like 130 rolls around. We're like, awesome. Yeah. We should go to bed. <laughs> we did that twice this week. We stayed up. It's fell asleep, not till like 10. It's harder in the summer. And we stayed up till 1, 1 a.m., two different nights, just talking, mm -hmm. like catching up on the day or it was too busy and frenetic and we weren't able to have that phone time that we might normally have had. And we both have a lot to say. And I think I recognize too, like Dave's in a more isolated role, even though he's found a peer group to indulge that I didn't used to be as open to conversation. And I think that was frustrating for Dave. Like you just need someone to be able to download his day on. And I don't really have coworkers. So mm -hmm. my coworkers are three feet tall and very, <laughs> very, very emotionally <laughs> inexperienced. So, so I, I think that's an interesting part of the topic. And, you know, traditionally we see stay at home moms with dads with careers and, 
I'm always asking, you know, like, what is the reasonable expectation for the person that is working? Because when you're the stay-at-home person, there is no time clock. It's 24-7. There is, you know, and everyone goes, well, what did you do all day? Like, you are have this time to sit around and eat bonbons, right? And so how did you guys decide, like, who is going to do what and how you guys divvy things up and how involved both of you are? I think in the beginning, I was totally guilty of falling into that role of, well, I worked all day and I see there's dishes in the sink. And he's like, what you don't know is that we had to run to the doctor's office and that took two hours and then another hour of filling prescription and then someone spilled milk and I had to mop the floor. And so, you know what, you're lucky all you're seeing is the dishes in the sink because my day was the disaster and that's not really fair. And so we had to set boundaries of, even though he's with the kids, he's not the maid and the nanny and the chef and the, you know, how would we still divide up responsibility? Cause I think I was coming from it as like a resentful, like how lucky for you, you get to be with the kids all day. I wish I could be with them all day. So if you're going to be with them all day, I'd also like to not have to do anything around the house because that's your job, not my job. And we and- all know Dave would never leave dishes <laughs> in the sink. <laughs> I know. And so, you know, it was okay. Instead of coming, like, how about coming at it as like a reasonable human being? What can I expect? What are your goals during the day? And and then I would share. Well, I really love cooking dinner, but I can't do it seven nights a week. So maybe three nights is that good? And I can cook three nights, and then you know you can cook the others, and we won't. We'll try to communicate and not create resentment. But yeah, I mean, what was your tipping point? Because we've certainly had that argument quite a few times. I think it's impossible not to. And I don't know if it's even remotely indicative to our situation, but just I think every couple in life, whether one works, one doesn't, or you you both do. Now, like with volunteering at the school, I'm at the school for two to three hours a day. It, you know, granted, I still have like maybe another four hours and it sounds like a lot, but it's, it's not. I think the only time that it really flares up as far as like you should be doing this or taking care of that is we bought an old house from an original owner and it to say it was a 1960s time capsule was an understatement. <laughs> Where it really flares up is when I drop the kids off at school and I start demoing a bathroom. I go to lunch, I come home, I finish it. When she gets home, it's like it shows what you don't do because I didn't have time to do any laundry, any dishes, nothing. The house is probably worse off because I've been tracking stuff in and out the door all day. So that's when it does kind of flare up. And I, and I get it It, it, because, you know, she has been out there providing insurance and income for us all day long and making sure that we, we can do remodels and that we can make our mortgage payment and have decent cards and, for our outrageous car insurance in Michigan. And it's hard, you know, but I still, I think that's hard for any couple. I think that's hard for any couple that you both work. You know, how do you, and I'd love to say that we've got a magic bullet for it, but I don't know how you do figure out at the end of the day who does what, how you still get time together, and how you get time also importantly for yourself. And then how do you divvy up time to your family? How do you divvy up to all of the, who's going to grocery shop and do all of this? Mm-hmm. It's hard and sometimes they're better than others. And other factors come into that too, whether someone had a really crappy day at work right. or. Or if all of a sudden I start traveling, it kind of, we're always, I'd say it's always in an ebb and flow, but I feel like we do more of a team approach. And I'm talking, I feel like this took six and a half years out of the last seven for us to get to yeah. this Oh yeah, absolutely. It takes yeah. so long, and um, and then something will change. Maybe I'll have to go to an office soon, and it'll be different. But now it's more of a team approach. You know, I felt all this pressure to try to do all the appointments, like all the meetings at school, and all the doctor's appointments. And Dave helped me let go of that. Like it's okay, and we prioritize. Okay, I only want to be. I just want to be at the annual doctor appointment. That to me is the most important one where you talk to the doctor, but you know, sick day or dentist, like it's okay. 
I let go of some things and I absorbed some other things back because I didn't feel like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. But in, that also too is maybe a little more unique to our situation because a lot of ladies that I know at school, their husbands have never been to a doctor's appointment. Yeah. Right. And with, you know, Amanda, of course, being a woman, she's invested in her kids. Mm -hmm. So she wants to be there. She doesn't ever not want to be there for something that could be big, even if it's small. So I think it's hard to emotionally turn off that maternal instinct Mm -hmm. and give it, even though I'm fully capable of it, it's still hard. And I mean, like, it's that expectation of, well, you're the mom. Like it doesn't matter if you're a sole provider or not where is the mom at this appointment or I've never met the mom, you know, at any of the, so it's that like drive of that maternal connection and the fact that I care and want to be there, but certain things like I hate the dentist. I'm okay with letting go of that one. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do better when I'm not there. So, (laughs) but you do develop like in our relationship, we've developed that we're like, I can take kids to certain places and I don't have issues with them. But because she is the mother, and like I get to be the the guy that they build les- Legos with, play video games with, like learn how to be little gentlemen and say please and thank you. And I'm a, I'm more rigid on that stuff. Not that I'm like I'm caring or anything, but I'm more like you guys. This is me. please and thank you. They should happen all the time. I'll take them to. Unfortunately, if they've got to get blood drawn for something, mm-hmm. I'll do that. I don't take Amanda because she's the one that comforts them. So sometimes in those situations, they know. And I would just probably cancel the blood work because I couldn't. <laughs> couldn't handle that, right? I don't need it so, anyway. It's okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it's a really good point that regardless of the roles that you fill based on gender, right, that ultimately you have to have communication between the two of you to kind of figure out what is going to work for both of you. And if you just rely on traditional roles and try to, you know, fit that, the, that definition, you know, there's, there's a gap, there's some, some lacking here. And, and that's kind of what a lot of couples are struggling with, regardless of whether it's a stay at home mom, a stay at home dad. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think that it, when you're in the sole provider, stay at home parent setup, regardless of gender, there's that temptation to say, well, fine, then you're responsible for everything at home. Right. And I'm responsible for everything at work. And I actually realized, I, while I have more, I think, financial pressure and stress, my day, I just, I can like go to Starbucks and be myself for 10 minutes or carve out that time. Dave, and, Dave doesn't get a coffee break. Maybe when the kids are at school or in between drop off and when he has to go over his first volunteer spot, but there's not, it's not like he's catching up in movies or yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And honestly, I mean, you guys have seen it through my Facebook page, like the remodel and everything like that. That's how I kind of value myself. And Amanda has to remind me like even at breakfast or at the end of the day, she's like, sit down, sit down. Because I have such, and even still, even though I'm, I'm comfortable and I'm very happy, I'm very filled in our situation, I can't sit down because I feel like I'm taking advantage of the situation. Like on a daily basis, I have to be doing something. She, like, and not like as a boss or permission way, tells, like, she'll have to tell me, like, yeah. just to or say, hey. just don't do something because I, I can't. I don't ever want her to feel like I'm taking advantage of the situation. And I think of all things, mm-hmm. that's my biggest fear. It's not trying to get like back into the workplace or anything like that, but it's, it's to have a rift like that in your marriage where you feel like the other person is taking advantage of the other person. Sure. You know, that terrifies me because I don't, I don't ever want her to feel like that. Well, we have a final question for you guys here. How do you know, what does your partner do that you know they love you? So I'm like... It's okay. I'll only judge you on this answer for the rest of our relationship. (laughs) (laughs) I know he truly loves me. And I was thinking about this this morning. It's like, I'm a very absent-minded, frenetic person. And I think at any given point in time, I have like a cup problem. (laughs) So... 
like in my car at any given time, I'll have like two water bottles, a coffee mug, a smoothie mug. There'll be like a mason jar with like half drank coconut water in the bathroom. There's like cups all over the whole house. And every day he loves me and will gather those cups or I'll get in my car and look around and realize like this morning I got in my car to go get groceries and there were no mugs or anything in my car. And I'm like, he cleaned it out for me. And it's like that little thing of him not giving me a hard time and just loving me and accepting that this is my thing that I just leave stuff in places. And right now it's just cups everywhere, but and doesn't give me a hard time. And you love me. Cups and hair ties. Those are also everywhere. (laughs) I do just throw the hair ties away at this point. They used to be bobby pins. Yeah. What about for you, Dave? Not nearly as beautiful as hers, but getting, getting back to the me not sitting down, I know that she loves me when she'll do, and this is pretty cheesy, but um, she'll buy me beer and pizza and say, go play video games for like tonight. I got the boys. I'll take them out. We'll do dinner. Just take some time out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like her recognizing that, like, I just, you know, I need that time to, sit and vegetate for a little bit it means a lot because it's mm-hmm. it, i mean it's more than just a, a gesture of like free time it's a, you know it's her recognizing that you know, i need some time even if i don't recognize it mm-hmm. that's wonderful well david Amanda, we want to wholeheartedly thank you for being on our podcast couple synergy so we, we get we get wounded through relationships and we heal through relationships and we've been telling stories to bond and to connect and share and grow since the beginning of time and we hope that you guys sharing your story has enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners thank you everyone thank you for all you listening if you have any questions or topic suggestions please feel free again to leave a comment or look us up online at couplesynergy.com until next time you have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian, along with Organizational Director Calvin Javier and Marketing Coordinator Bridget Reese. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. <laughs>